Welcome back to The Short Game. This is a show about short video games, games that respect your time. I'm Reagan Kelly, and I'm joined this week by all my co-hosts plus an exciting guest. So first, Gary Butterfield, thank you so much for joining us, and welcome to the show. Hey, Reagan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. And of course, I'm also joined by all my awesome co-hosts, Laura Nash. How are you doing, Laura? Excellent. And Nate Heininger. How are you doing? So glad to be here. This game, uh, really looking forward to this conversation. Me too. And of course... Shane Kelly, my bro host and real life twin brother. How are you doing, Shane? A little physically uncomfortable because of our proximity. You're sitting right next to me sharing a microphone. Yeah, so this Darling. one this one is going to be a little bit different from normal because I'm visiting Shane in order to see his adorable baby and to attend a wedding. And so here I am in Shane's house. Forgive any slight audio issues that, we, that may come up uh, on this episode because Shane and I are jammed very close together and it's kind of weird. Yeah, if there's anyone out there who's had a hard time telling the difference between the two of you, but could always tell by, like, your microphone quality who was who, uh, this is going to be a particularly confusing episode for you. Yeah, you really screwed on this one. We we have a visual setup, too, and you look like a conjoined twin that has a very expensive (laughs) custom shirt. (laughs) The mic is equidistant between the two of you, so it looks like a a very technological uh, Siamese twin apparatus. Yeah, it's wonderful. (laughs) We We have news for you all. We've decided to make a change. <laughs> We're going to get attached. I'm sure yeah. wives and baby will love that. Well, this week we are talking about a, a game that came out originally last year and that we've been waiting a little while to cover. And what's prompted us to cover it is its sudden Switch release. And that is West of Loathing by Asymmetric. Um, so I, I've never played the predecessor to this game, Kingdom of Loathing, although I've heard about it from Laura numerous times over the over the years. Um, but does somebody want to kind of explain what this game is and where it comes from? Sure. Kingdom of Loathing is a browser-based game, one of those games where you have X amount of actions you can take per day, and then you can't play it anymore, and you have to show up the next day and continue. Uh, and it shares a lot of DNA. There's some overlap and things like the humor is definitely a huge part of it. Stick figures, black and white. Uh, The difference is that Kingdom of Loathing uh, is enormous. I've uh, ascended, which has kind of beat the game 18 times over the years, and I've been playing since 2009, and there's they keep releasing more and more content. This is self-contained. It's not enormous, and it's also an RPG with a lot richer animation, uh, music. It's got a lot of the typical game things that you miss in more of an interactive fiction piece like Kingdom of Loathing. Yeah, I have I've heard a lot about I had heard a lot about Kingdom of Loathing mostly from you Laura over the years and it always sounded kind of cool. I mean, I, the the humor of it definitely comes through even if you just see screenshots. Um and so I'd always kind of wanted to check it out, but browser-based sort of perpetual games like that are just not something that I really ever do. Uh, even they require ones that, a lot of grinding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there would have probably been a time many years ago where there would have been extremely my thing, but uh, that was many years ago. I just don't play that kind of thing anymore. Um, so when I heard that those same developers were coming out with this very related game, um, but that it was going to be this self-contained thing. Originally, it was going to be on um, PC, Mac, Linux. I think it also came out on iOS, although I haven't tried that version of the game. Did it? Am I wrong about that? I'm seeing some faces. I don't. I don't think so. I don't think it's out there yet. Yeah. I think they've been talking okay. yeah, about it. So. Okay. Well. Okay. You Forget can take that. it back if you. 
He no, I don't. It. I don't care. I can be wrong on the internet. No problem. <laughs> uh, the uh, so when I when I saw that that was coming out, uh, I was much more interested in West of Loathing than I ever was in Kingdom of Loathing, just because it's it's a different format, one that I'm a little bit more sort of game for. Um, but I still, I'm always down for westerns. Yeah, actually, totally. Yes, I'm really into westerns. But uh, I was uh, I just never got quite the push to play it until this came out on Switch. And so that's sort of why we're covering here a year after its initial release. Um, Gary, I know you talked about it on you've talked about it on a couple of podcasts. I think at least you talked about it on Check It Out Comrade. Um, mm-hmm. So you played this when it first came out, right? Yeah, pretty pretty much day and date. Um, and, and just because there's not a great place to put it, I should say, um, I'm friends with these guys. So just in case um, anybody is sharpening pitchforks about uh, the kind of journalistic integrity that comes with being friends with people who make stuff. We find um, that. We take that very seriously on this podcast. So they, thank you for being upfront it, and mm-hmm. very clear about it. I uh, I didn't even get a, a free copy of it. Um, so thanks. What? Zach. Uh, but no, I, I bought it a day, you know, for the first day because I wanted to support my friends. And I have a very distinct memory of having a uh, kind of a fretful summer because this came out right around the same time Tacoma did. Um, and I was like, I know people and like people who are making games, like I hope I like them. Uh, because that's a bad feeling. If somebody, you know, you know, makes something that uh, you don't really care for. And I'm not good at lying. I, uh, I so played I, in a band for a very long time, and yes. so I know very specifically what you're talking about. And that is how I learned that skill from playing <laughs> oh, in a band for a long time. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah, no, it was, yeah. you guys, that was great. Oh, that was play, cool. Like, I like the stuff with the strum. You played you know? really well. <laughs> just, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, you just, you look the, really good up there. Good, uh, yeah. good uh, yeah, you, stage you were having, presence. The, the worst one is I had a girlfriend in my first band who was like, you look like you're having a lot of fun. Oh, no. and, and, and so just like that thing someone can say about your play everyone yeah, up on stage was having a blast it was miserable down here but you guys yeah. seemed like you guys were was, in a, like mm-hmm. a bouncy house the um so I, I had that kind of nervous feeling but i, I wanted to support my friends i knew i was going to buy it um and uh i was just really really happy because i ended up really loving both those games um and uh it's just been very heartening to see the response to this you know the fact that i that the know those dudes has been like has made me my enjoyment of the reception of this you know better uh for me because and, and it wasn't you know i, I have a really hard time lying like i really love it you know and it's been it's been fun to be able to like when i was playing it find a joke and screen you know take a picture of it with my phone and then like send it to riff and be like can, can you know swear on this podcast i can't remember yeah yes. yeah please okay. do to, to send him a picture and be like fuck you dude <laughs> like, like this, you know and and have that kind of uh interaction with him yeah you know, it's very very fun well, that's, I'm sure that's, you know, and we're going to talk about this a lot, but you're friends with the writer of the game. Is that right? Uh, among others? So, so Riff is in my D&D group. Like Riff is, I'm, okay. I hang out with him the most, but I'm very close with him and Zach. I really like Kevin, but I probably know him the least of them. Uh, Kevin and Ryan Ike, who is the person who's the composer. I know both those guys. I like them, but I don't know them quite as well as Zach and Riff. Well, well so the writer just, and main guy. Yeah. I was just thinking like the whole game is, is really fun. Uh, but like the writing, I think is generally what stands out the most. And so for that to be like the person that you're the most close to of the development team, I'm sure that's a lot of fun. Like I, I am super lucky. Cause like yeah. once a week we sit down and play tabletop games with that. Dude, and he's awesome. very funny. And the so, pun density must be off the charts. Yeah. He's uh, you know, it's, he's, he's very good. I had never even real. I'd seen kingdom of loathing. And when this game came out, the all the press everything was saying it's funny it's funny it's funny it's one of the funniest games of the year play it play it play it Um, but i only ever saw like little snapshots and it mostly was like 
cow jokes and clown jokes, you know, and like meat is the money. And, and that just, that didn't seem like that was going to be funny to me. And we were, we talked about doing it for the show, but we, we didn't until now. And I like could not have been more wrong about the, the comedy of the game. Uh, it, it's just so funny and I can't wait to talk about it. I know you guys have a bunch of screenshots, um, that I, I, I was laughing nonstop playing this game. So uh, if you saw that stuff like me, you might've expected it maybe not to be your type of funny, like almost like a, I don't know, internet-y, like, yeah. forum-y funny, but it's way more uh, dense than that and way more complicated and funny. So Laura described the game a little bit at the start, but just in case in case you aren't familiar with the game at all, um, this is an RPG. It's, you know, it's uh, has a lot of sort of shared DNA with adventure games. I think it plays a little bit in a lot of ways more like an adventure game than an RPG. Um, but it's uh, it's done entirely with stick figure graphics, totally black and white. Ha- what look like basically hand drawn stick figure graphics, a little bit MS painty looking, I think. Um, although occasionally there are really detailed stuff in it, but not a lot. And uh, so mostly this game is driven by its text, its humor. And the story of the game is a very conventional Western story until you get even 10 minutes in. You, you are from Kansas, you're bored, and you're, you've decided to go West and seek your fortune. So you enter the world of the West, and the West is... Uh, it's an interesting sort of pastiche of Western stuff with a lot of other weird stuff mixed in. Weird science fiction and uh, and absurdism and uh, mysticism and swords and sorcery all kind of mixed into this Western pastiche uh, that is just really funny. I don't know how else to describe it. I, th- I think it's worth, um, too, the, the way you just described that makes it sound um, like there is a, a kind of an epic story to it. Like when you say there's mysticism to it, it makes it sound like, um, you know, it, it is uh, it takes the structure. So I think adventure games and role playing games are obviously two touchstones, but then also like Western role playing games, like a big open world mm-hmm. and thing like this is an open world game. Yeah. Um, and it is, a, you know, you it is up to you. The point of the game is to go and explore and do stuff. It's not necessarily to get to the end um, and that the mysticism or like those other kinds of like genres that it trucks in um are all unified through that that humor lens you know so there's there's no the story to it of like i've decided to go uh seek my fortune is the story like that's the story everything that else that happens is stuff that happens along the way that you run into while doing such absolutely it's really happily loose uh not in a sloppy sense but in the sense that you can be hell-bent on doing a certain quest and literally the game will kind of be like oh we saw something over there would you like to go there you can go it, there's no urgency to any of the quests which yes. is great there's no timers so you really can just go where you feel like if you want to start side questing for an hour and then you want to give up halfway through and do something else there's no reason you can't just pick up that side quest later the, yeah. the minute you start following a quest line in this game because you feel like you need to progress the story, uh, you'll instantly see some new location uh, on your way there that will be a thousand times more interesting and will tempt you off the path. Mm-hmm. It's worth, um, I think, mentioning, too, just as part of the, the design philosophy that I, like, I see behind this is that uh, you know that lack of urgency is incredibly important because uh, no open world game has solved that. There's not one open world game that doesn't feel ludicrous when you go off the main path. Like in Fallout 4, you do a DLC to go rescue someone else's kid. 
Like if you think about, you know, like I don't know if you know that game, but it's like, oh, my mm-hmm. son's kidnapped. I have to go kidnap my son. Yeah. You can literally go do a DLC to go rescue someone else's kid yeah. in that game. You know, it's it's ludicrous, right? Like, you know, yeah. like I don't, you're not going to do that. This is this is the only open world game I know that fixes that. And and I think that a lot of um, the kind of philosophy from this, and I usually when games do this, I don't love it when games kind of like paper over problems with the genre. Um, this game takes every problem with almost every problem with the genres that it plays with and figures out how to make it more player friendly and not obnoxious, you know, and that that's big things like that urgency and little things like being able to fast travel from the middle of a dungeon. Mm -hmm. Because why not? Like, why not? And, and that is something that I feel like they knew was such a fix in kingdom of loathing where the only difference between whether you are literally at the bottom of the sea doing something and all the way in the forest is if you take a helmet off and click a different button. Like there's Mm -hmm. no time penalty for basically teleporting across the map. And I think I'm sure the game creators were like, that's something everyone loves about our old game. How can we bring that to an RPG? In a lot of ways, realism and self-seriousness are these just incredible anchors that weigh game storytelling down. And just by being able to step out of that in this game, um, they're free to have these these kind of more uh, free mechanics that allow you to just sort of do what you wish without like really you know if if you were in a, a intense time based quest to save your child like and you had all the it's like oh well if I can teleport across the map why don't I just go teleport to save my kid you know right. but in this game it, it's it's because you're free from that it feels uh, less like it's breaking something. To do that, it it when you when you the you know, when you say the premise like this is a, a podcast about games that respect your time like that's what that mechanic is yeah mm-hmm. because you know putting those restrictions that's all it costs you you know it gives you you get realize that you you're paying time in exchange for realism and that is a bad trade you know and sometimes like you know there are games that do stuff with it but for the most part I think that that's something that uh, people assume you have to do it that way yeah and uh, you know this game it challenges a lot of those assumptions I think yeah. I think it also the entire game is like bite-sized experiences. Like mm. everything you do is I'm going to a new location. I'm probably not going to spend, unless it's like one of the main cities, I'm probably not going to spend more than 10 to 15 minutes, like at the most at the majority of these locations. But there's like, I don't know how many there are, but it's got to be close to a hundred. Um, and so allowing things like this fast travel, whatnot, it doesn't matter because everything is so bite-sized. You can pop in, you can pop out, you can set the speed at which your uh, guy travels. You can set all these different speed things to make it even more your own like speed at which you play the game and your own experience. Uh, it it makes it a real joy to play and a perfect thing for like the Switch and a perfect thing for our show where it really is just pick up, play for you know however much time you want, and you can put it down. And when you pick it back up, there's nothing that's so serious that it matters if you remembered it or not. Um, and it, even if there was, you're probably going to figure it out again, or you can yeah, you ask your companion. Yeah, like they, exactly. they, they rounded that up. Like they, they yeah. find every one, every one of those friction points mm-hmm. in this genre and they, they fix it. Yeah. And it's amazing. Your companion yeah. was awesome. You can say, uh, what should I do? And it straight up says main quest. And if you ask them that, it tells you what, what's the next step on the main quest or it'd say, what else should I do? And it says, side quest and i just i love that it's so much better than a quest log which can just be so bulky and hard to manage especially in a game like this 
Um, it, it's really perfect, and it lets you decide when you're going to do that. You can either ask your companion or not. It's great. I mean, it's this is sort of obvious, but we do not cover RPGs on this show almost ever. And the the fact that this is an RPG that I mean, it, I'm sure different people could spend different amounts of time in this. We usually kind of say how much time it took us to complete the game. Uh, I think that the numbers are going to really vary for folks depending on how much they engage with the side quests and how much stuff they discover. But like in terms of like how, how many RPGs of any kind could really fit into this sort of show at all or the you know this took me i spent probably around 10 hours with the game which felt like about the right amount of time for me but i know i probably could have spent a little more or i could have completed this whole game or at least the main quest in like three if i'd really worked at it i mean the kingdom of loathing there's a concept called ascensions which is you finish all of the main quests and you ascend and restart the game and there are some people who speed run and try to do it as many you know few days as few turns as possible um so it's just made like how fast can you reloop and restart the game this game kind of got rid of that because you basically unlock more maps like you can do the main plot and it unlocks more map if you wanted to speed through you're just missing almost all of the jokes and i feel sorry for you as opposed to in kingdom of loathing where you're trying to the things that are the same every time you loop through as fast as possible as you can get to the higher level content which is new it's not a, like it, it's a different mindset. I, and I would argue that this game has pretty much as much content as your normal forty-hour RPG. It is just broken into a way that is considerably more uh, involved or uh, player chosen and bite-sized, and all of the stuff. And it's kind of what we're talking about now. But all of the stuff that fills up time in those other games is gone. And I have mm-hmm. even another example for that: uh, grinding. So this game has a full level up. Uh, system like most do you know you're getting stronger you're earning experience buying new spells or what have you Uh, most games would like kind of force you into consistent random encounters in order to level up and this game does have random encounters to a degree uh, but the majority of it is there's these like combat areas and you can walk up to them and choose to fight if you fight You'll fight something that's right around your level. There's like You'll a pit it. of snakes, and you walk yeah. up and you can press A to grab some snakes. Yeah, grab some and snakes. Fight the or, snakes. Or if you need snake brawl. venom, like just yeah. go fight the snakes. They're there. There's like a there's a a, 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 a always going on brawl in one of the uh, bars, and you can go in there and just r- like hop into the brawl, and it gives you a consistent flow that you you'll never run out, and they're all over the place, um, and you can just keep doing it. And it plays into the other. Uh, side of the the system is that you can get through this game without throwing a punch. Um, you don't have to fight. Uh, it is you you never have to grind because you there isn't a minimum level to to be at to to complete the game. Like the the game really values uh, all these systems prop each other up, and that's like one of the things that's most impressive to me about this is that um, you know so it does have this open world. It has this density uh, which you're talking about a little bit, Nate, where it's like there aren't fillers. You know, you're not going to fight twenty goblins. You're going to fight one. You do like one encounter between places. You know, mm-hmm. you're not to say keep fighting them. If you run away, there's not like if you get the horse that allows you to run away, there's not really a penalty for it. If you die, there's not really a penalty for it. Um, if you don't want to do that fight, you can usually avoid it and just get to the end. Um, it respects the way that you want to play and all of the time that you spend doing those things, even the fights themselves, like something that like I don't I don't like JRPGs. And one of the reasons I don't like them is that uh, the repetitive content, like you fight a lot of fights that are more or less exactly the same. 
Like I do not like a grind. I don't want to sit down and, and just kind of tap A through a fight. Um, and even good ones, like they minimize that. They don't get rid of it, right? So like you take something like Bravely Default, you can make them faster, but you can't really avoid them, you know, completely. Eventually you can turn them off, but then you're not high enough level for the thing, blah, blah, blah. It kind of falls apart. Um, here, the fights are so few, far, few and far between. When they show up, they actually are tactical. Like I usually have a new ability or it's a new monster by the time I'm doing them. Uh, and there are kind of like jokes within fights sometimes too, which is really brilliant, um, you know, to actually try to entertain me through this thing that is kind of downtime, you know? So there's not a point like that that's most obvious in towns and dialogue and everything that there's no line in this, that they didn't try to make funny. Uh, you know, so even when we talk about being dense, even down to that level, at the very least, there's a joke. Yeah. And then, the, then there's can be more, you know, but the very least there's yeah, a joke. The, the joke density is astonishing i mean this game has like any sort of open world game you haven't you have a massive inventory that's actually something that i kind of thought was impressive about the game was that it has uh, an inventory system that i thought was actually pretty solid uh and you have zillions of items every single item has something funny about it no matter how mundane the item is and every single location has a joke every single enemy encounter like even the random encounters have a little bit of flavor text to describe that i never saw repeat flavor text that describes the encounter and every one of those has a joke the the joke density here not every joke is going to land for you but like Mm. there's so many jokes that at least enough of them are going to land that it's always going to be funny yeah and like not landing is usually it's just like almost too silly and it's not mm-hmm. like, it's not even like it's stupid. Like, oh, that was a bad joke. It's just like, oh my God. It's like, this is so silly that uh, I, I didn't even laugh. I just like shrug a little bit at it. But I, and I think their, their joke writing in this is pretty cool. They handled it in a, a really interesting way, which is they opened every single door you could possibly open for there to be a joke, not only in the item and things like that, but they also, there's like an antagonist narrator that is tell talking about the actions that you're taking as a player as well. So like your player is funny and then there's just like a voice that is Mm -hmm. constantly berating you for choices that you make or like pointing out the insanity of the situation at the moment. And so you can have jokes from your character. You can have jokes from the items. You can have jokes from the bad guys. You can have jokes from the narrator or I don't think that's the right word for it, but like, the voice of God that is like insulting you for sticking your hand into like the 15th spittoon. Um, it, it it's everywhere. There's even visual jokes. I mean, there, it's a pretty simple uh, black and white illustration model. And yet there's one joke where you walk up to a tent and there's a little um, like Salvation Army Red Cross sign, little little plus, and you click on it and it says, this must be the math tent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's like, pretty good. Yeah. It, it, it didn't yeah, need to every be there. interactive object had something like that. Like I, you've, you've just reminded me of a, there was a burned out building that said, this must be where they stored all the fire. <laughs> yeah. It's very, like it makes me mad at other funny games, right? Like it makes me, it made like this, the whole thing also made me mad. I mean, I brought this point up in the other podcast. I, I recorded about it, but it's, I think it's a good one and it's a weird comparison, right? But one of the games I think this reminds me of is Planescape Torment. It was a weird thing to say, yeah. but in Planescape Torment, not one NPC is wasted. Not one description is wasted. Everything you look at, everything you do, it's to a totally different effect, right? Like it is to make you feel a feeling that like is to touch your heart and stuff. This has that same kind of economy. 
Like, you're not going to waste my time. Like, every NPC, like, this game, they're like, why not make him have a joke? In Torment, they're like, he's got to contribute to the theme. You know, like, and that philosophy of not wasting my time by having somebody say, like, I heard the king lives in the castle. You know, or like Dragon Quest nonsense, like where you just talk to a villager and they say nothing. Other things suffer in comparison, I guess. And the economy is even better when you think about the fact that if you don't do a side quest, you're not penalized. Anything you do, because it's funny, because there's a lot of things to look at, even if there's not a giant payoff and you get the best item in the world at the end, you've had fun playing that quest. So it's mm-hmm. not like a lot of ones that you have to grind through because you need to... There are, you know, there is a section of the game that is intentionally making fun of grinding and mm-hmm. bureaucracy and fetch quests. And, mm. But that turns it into the joke. It's like I'm doing all this painful stuff as part of the joke that we do this in games. It's, it's a not, setup, and then eventually a there's setup. a punchline. Yeah. Right. It's not intrinsically built into the game. Well, that, that reminds me of one of the things that I think is also just one of the most successful parts of this game is that so it, when you're in the game, you have this big map, and that's how you choose what location you want to go to. You start at like a main town, and you can either wander, or as you're playing, you either happen across or through the results of your actions discover new locations and they use new locations as a reward for a lot of things and i think that's brilliant because the new the new location is not only furthers the game but you know there's going to be like something funny or something fun there and so it might not be an item but it might just be that you see a cemetery on the map and you're like oh that's more fun than an item finding that cemetery mm-hmm. is way more fun than getting like a thousand meat cuz who knows what's going to be at that cemetery it could it's probably going to be funny and I might find other stuff. And they chain these lit locations together where it's that's the best reward, which is mm-hmm. the most fun part of any game. Uh, and they handle it perfectly. It's one of my favorite item was the uh, disposable binoculars where you, yeah. you find a high up location. You can use these binoculars, discover a location. And then the joke is you just throw the binoculars away. Yeah. Yeah. Any binoculars are disposable if you throw them out. Yeah. <laughs> most games you don't get like. Finding the next place is just the progression. You're like, okay, I'm here, but I have to be here because this is where I'm going now. But this game is like, hey, good good job you found this place. And that is rewarding enough. Um, and it just it makes it so much fun. And there's a go there now button. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. And they put on the map real big new. Because if you play this game a lot, you end up with just, it's a, it's a really condensed amount of, locations to go to and so they make it like it'd be really easy to forget like what was that one i discovered from that map i found in the bottom of that bunker oh oh yeah i go to the map and it's like real big so we've talked a little bit about the sort of generalities and systems of the game i wanted to talk a little bit about like specifically how you guys played it so first thing uh when you start the game the character creation system was cute and I thought very funny. Um, but they have three classes, uh, cow puncher, snake oiler, and bean slinger. So, uh, Laura, what did you play as? I played as snake oiler because um, in Kingdom of Loathing, I always have the most fun with the moxie class. It's just the charmer. Uh, so it's a, it's a class that plays a lot of potions and buffs. And in this game, it's a poisoner. Like your first, your item, um, I'd like to hear what the items are, but you get a, your grandmother's briefcase of snakes. <laughs> is your your starting item and you just you can milk those snakes and get 
Skeelic potions or venom out of it, and that's who you're going to play as. That's really good. I played as a cow puncher, which is the basic sort of, I guess, melee or like warrior class in this game. Uh, most of of your uh, uh, most most everything involves hitting things with swords or sticks or something, um, and it sort of played into the, I think, the funniest and yet also sort of most evocative element of the setting is this idea that this is this is a sort of a post-apocalyptic uh w- old west where uh this is after the day the cows came home which is uh apparently at some point in the relatively recent past a, a portal to hell opened and evil cows spilled out of it and now cows are are the enemy across all of the west and so the cow puncher class uh you know mostly is about hitting cows with sticks and such it was pretty fun to play as yeah, I, I went with, to round it out, uh, the Beanslinger. If you put me in an RPG and let me be a wizard, I'm going to be a wizard. Uh, so Man's got to have rules. Oh, yeah. yeah, no, That's a guiding <laughs> principle for me. Uh, but if you, if you start this thinking they're a normal wizard, they are absolutely not. Because all weirdly, all the magic in this game is food-based. And... <laughs> Uh, the bean, especially bean based, like apparently all magic flows from from legumes. So um, it's it's an extremely like mechanically similar to like most kind of wizard kind of classes you'd have played in other games. You're leveling up and gathering spells by reading them out of books. Uh, but the theming on all of it is just tremendous. You mentioned the books. One of my favorite things about this game is you generally learn new skills by finding books, reading the books, and then the game always has some way to tell you that the book has evaporated or disappeared uh, immediately after you read it. And almost all, I mean, obviously everything in this game is an opportunity for a joke, but all of those are really funny to me. Um, I remember one of them was, uh, I learned a skill that was something like ever vigilant and and then of course after i learned about this from the book uh, i shot the book to death because now i don't trust books or anything else I, <laughs> you know i had one that i remembered from from that as well i really liked there was a lock picking skill uh and i i at the end of reading it you donate it to an orphanage and then you say so that they can free themselves go orphans <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the um one of the things that's interesting in thinking about all the classes too is that um so those classes all kind of map on in like an archetyp- archetypical way to like D&D classes, but in mechanically in the game, um, they kind of don't in a way that I think is really important. So like if you look at like something like a cow puncher, if you're playing a traditional Western RPG, the fighter class ends up being the most straightforward. Um, you don't get a lot of things to do. And that's not true in this game. Like the, the cow puncher is the one that can learn leather working and the cow puncher is the one like everyone gets, you know, a couple of buffs and then you get like an AOE kind of attack. Like the classes are actually kind of similar. Uh, you know, there's different flavors to them, but they, you know, part of the philosophy felt to me to be like, everybody needs cool stuff to do, mm-hmm. you know? So like, it doesn't have that D and D like I'm a thief. So if there's no, uh, shadows, like you play the Moxie class, if you play the Snake Oiler, it's not like you're useless outside of social situations. And if you play the Cow Puncher, it's not like your only option is to punch things. Like you get a bunch of different other little skills, you know, um, and I think that's really smart. You know, they everyone gets something cool to do. And I also like that you can kind of complement that with your um, your partner. Uh, the the I only played with the one partner, Doc Alice. Uh, Doc Alice is a uh, 
her whole family was killed by uh, a necromancer, and so she hates skeletons and hates necromancers. She has a cool power that can take out a skeleton in one hit with a bone saw, um, and she's got a nice heal uh, ability. Um, but she was fun because she added a, a little bit of flavor to every uh, encounter that involved the undead, which is a surprising number in this game. Um, did anybody play with any of the other? Uh, yeah, I played with Susie, the um, just sort of rancher's daughter, I guess, was her flavor. I would or, or rancher's daughter orphan orphan. Yeah. So she her family was killed by cows. Uh, so she levels up by killing cows and makes notches in her gun and uh yeah, so that she's a really fun one as well. She she's really, um, you know, that anytime you get towards any sort of cow related, um, you know, event or situation, she always has something uh, humorous to say. Yeah, she's also that's who I had to, and she's pretty high damage. She has like yeah, a, a rifle, combat. and then she can either build a wall in front of you uh, to protect, or she can use her lasso to make a thing skip a turn. I think I probably used those last two once or twice and i just used her for really high damage the vast majority of the time um i also played a bean slinger and between my bean slinger and her we were able to just quickly kill most things like yeah, I, I think mean, i got walls covered i've got a bean wall you know yeah right i i think they do that with combat like i think they made it fun quick and accessible like i i never felt like it was super tactical like there's certainly more tactical games i did have to i did die some um but it was most often like i felt like i got into a fight that was like well ahead of myself not necessarily like i did i i like got outplayed by the ai i could just be saying that though and don't want to admit that i got outplayed by the ai (laughs) but i think it it served its purpose really well is that that's not what this game is about like you could get really into it and i got really into the food and booze and stuff to like buff my character um, but the combat, like Gary's saying, you don't even have to do that. So it can't be the most important part of the game. And that's what most like JRPG RPG style games. It's all about like min maxing your characters and making sure that you can combat the best. Um, and I thought, you know, obviously that's not the focus of this game. So they made it very polished. They made it very simple to understand and not too complicated. Yeah, I think they made the combat as close to optional as they could without making you just have like a complete opt out on it. Yeah, Um, I actually found myself really enjoying the combat in certain parts of the game. Uh, When I first came into the game, I kind of intended to engage in it, engage with it more on a sort of you can approach this game more or less like a uh, like an adventure game and not really engage with the combat mechanics um, early on. Uh, For example, it defaults to automatically spending XP for you. Um, which means that you can pretty well ignore a lot of the stats if you want. And um, uh, a lot, at least of the early combat, felt almost on automatic. But then I reached a point in the sort of the mid game where I needed to engage with the combat a little bit more. And so I turned off that automatic XP thing and started exploring the mechanics. And as somebody like I I am a JRPG liker, um, not a not a huge player of them because I can maybe do one a year at most given the way that you know, life works, but, um, I actually really liked it. I, it's funny cause I had an interesting contrast. I'm currently playing radiant historia or the remake of it on the three DS and this and that have a lot in common in terms of their, um, their art, their, uh, combat system. Uh, they're both this sort of grid based thing where your party is lined up, not on a grid, but the enemies are on a grid 
And so the placement of your attacks and so on kind of matters in that way. And part of it involves like uh, less so in this, but a little bit, uh, uh, not just managing uh, where you're attacking, but also um, maybe managing the locations of your enemies a little bit, either pushing them around or attacking in certain positions to get, you know, damage on multiples of them at a time, that kind of thing. I I thought the, the RPG combat in this was like, way better than i was expecting like there for example when you get to that that uh that um that place that fort where those dudes are playing the um the the tabletop game yeah that's the highlight yeah, yeah the pu- the puzzle version of it is I, it made me like i love that so much and it made me want a little bit more of that in the regular combat yeah like so so just to explain it like there's a there's a section of the game where there is a series of puzzles they present to you with combat encounters in the game's engine and you have a limited number of moves to win uh you know the combat because the the combat is largely deterministic in in this um you know so uh and that's really really cool and i liked that and i felt like that was the platonic ideal of what the combat in this game could be you know was this puzzle um mm-hmm. You know, and as such, like, I find it pretty painless. You know, they make the loading screens quick. Um, you know, combat encounters that are not meant to be climactic do go by very fast. Dying still, never sets you back at all. Dying like never you, sets you, you back. You literally yeah. just get... Uh, you actually get better. Yeah, yeah. You get yeah. angry when you wake stronger. up. You get you lose your buffs. But if you're not buffed, you actually get stronger. So you will be more likely to succeed. How good is that, right? Yeah. But, like, that is such a good philosophy. But, the um, like, by hour, like, seven, I think I spent, like, seven to ten hours on this game. Or eight to ten hours. Hour seven, like the combat had run out of new things to show me mm. a little bit. So like, it wasn't bad. I just was like, get me to the next good bit of writing. And like, there were little bits of writing. There were little bits of flavor in it. Um, it didn't maintain. And that's one of the big differences. When I say that I don't like JRPGs, part of the reason why, um, and there are plenty of exceptions, but part of the reason why they frustrate me is because it's that stretched over 40 hours as opposed to seven. And I was running out of patience with the combat as well. So I first thought I would speed it up. Um, it ended up actually making it less fulfilling because a one minute uh, encounter that is completely sped up and automated feels less necessary than a two minute one where you actually are amused by the animation. So that didn't work for me. But what did is I started challenging myself to use the vast array of combat items I had stocked up because by that Mm -hmm. point I just was loaded, especially as a snake oiler who's like a potion-based person. I wasn't using any of it. You know, can I get through this without using my action points? Can I, you know, just trying to liven up for myself. I think it was it's richer than the way I played. I played Max Men style. It got old fast. Uh, Had I been dealing with a little bit more of the richer stuff, I think it would have held me longer. And that's mm. been true about Kingdom of Loathing, where the combat's the same forever, but if you want to decapitate someone with a can lid, like that is a much more fun way to go. There's better jokes. I had the same experience with the speed. Uh, I almost immediately set it to 200%, and then about mid-game, I set it to 300%, and it just it turns off the game sounds even, because I'm assuming it's going too fast for it to be able to like render the sound. And it just, it became less fun. And so I turned it back to 200. And I do think 200 is probably the right speed for it, for, for the majority of the game. I think I turned it down for some of the, like like you guys are saying, like sort, sort of climactic battles. And I turned it down for the, uh, uh, I think it's like Camp Treason or something like that. Whatever the camp is that the we're talking about. The reenactment camp, yeah. Yeah, the reenactment camp, because I wanted to be more involved in it. Um, but I love that you had that option. I know that's not entirely new to JRPGs, but having the ability to speed everything up uh, I definitely um, appreciated. 
it's also a gear in the corner of every combat. So if you want to tweak yes, on a per absolutely. combat basis, it's really easy. You don't have to go all the way back to the options screen. Yeah, I and I got I I spent a lot of time at those um, grinding things. So I it's it wasn't even though I'm saying it wasn't the most exciting. I I, I felt like I did combat a lot in this game. Um, yeah. I know at, at Butterfield Ranch uh, where there's <laughs> a yeah, yeah. there's a uh, unlimited amount of uh, cows to fight and I had Susie who gets uh, upgraded by cows and I really wanted to get some stats into like lock picking and safe cracking and the sort of fun things uh, and actually I think they might have even done that purposefully at Butterfield Ranch is a place that has a relatively high lock picking uh, thing I think it's like lock picking two which at that point in the game you know you're maybe one and it's a lot of experience to get to two and I really wanted to get that. So I spent a lot of time just grinding these cows so that I could get the experience to get lockpicking too. And I just decided to do that for a lot of these fun uh, character things and like outfoxing and dickering and things like that. And not even like the combat skills, but just put it into the like narrative skills. And I think it, it allowed me to have even more fun later in the game when there's a lot of ways around fights using those sorts of skills mm -hmm. and so i grinded using combat to be able to better avoid combat later in the game and it made it a lot of fun i actually wanted to ask about butterfield ranch i mean it's clearly it was i, I knew you had a relationship with them so I, I knew it was an inside joke there but you know that and i know there was another one i think after named after cole but there's the like, coal mines is the yeah <laughs> is are, were there any other like inside jokes that you know about that maybe i wouldn't have gotten um, there are plenty of like inside references to the you know other things. The two oh, yeah. of them that are are me and Cole are just those two locations, and then your companion. If you talk to them, uh, they will say a duck feed reference uh, at nice. both those locations. So if you bring any of the companions, they have different things they say that are all different references to to the shows on our network. Did he it tell you who's going to do that, or was that was that a surprise? No, no, that was a surprise. That's very funny. Sweet. Um, he was checking to make sure you actually played the game. <laughs> yeah. So I was just like, yeah, it was great. I love the part with the, the sorceress. And, you looked like um, you were having a lot of fun the, when you made that yeah, game. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, they, I, real quick the, about the combat and not, not that we have to get off it, but I want to also no. mention, um, you know, this game's kind of opt in, like it's there if you want it potential plays into this where uh, let's say, you know, the combat wasn't like, my favorite thing, like I still like it for most of the game. I still liked it just near the end where I got a little bit done with it um, because it was very samey and kind of easy at that point. Um, there's a hard mode too. So like if this is the kind of thing, if you look at this, this combat system with the, these kind of positional elements and this action point economy and you're like, I need to dine on that. Uh, you can go into hard mode and play a version where um, Laura, like where you'd probably have to use all of those uh, consumables, you know, cause I also ended with a backpack brimming with things I'd never touched, you know, like yeah. they're all funny. They had jokes to them. I liked getting them, but I didn't need them. Um, there's a version of this game where it's, you have to use all that stuff. And, and you find that by finding and wearing the hard hat, which I think yes. is a great in and of itself. You can't take it off. It's a big disadvantage. You lose an equipment slot yeah. for doing it. So it's in addition to just being harder combat, like you have this evil hat and your characters will react to it. Um, if you have the horse that allows you to run away, your horse won't run away because the hat gives the horse a bad, like a dirty look. <laughs> like, it, like, and so, like, you know, so it's too scared of your hat to run away. Like it's extremely cute. What did the other horses do? I, so I, I didn't, I just picked one, the one that I thought would be the most fun, which was the dark horse. And I think that's the one that allowed you to run away. Cause I had that option a lot more. What, what did the other horses allow you to do? I got the ghost horse. I don't know what it, 
did actually. I, I think I could yeah, run away I as well. Said though, I also so got maybe the ghost horse, but I don't. So the one of them lets you run away more. The ghost horse is the one I can't remember. Um, the crazy horse allows you to you get more random encounters. Oh, okay. uh, and then the normal horse is vanilla. Yeah. Uh, so, but yeah, I was, of course I was going to take the demon steed. Right. Like, I'm not going <laughs> yeah. to choose down a demon horse. Like, yeah. or, you know, turn down a demon horse. I chose ghost horse too. I think it just gave you more, maybe wandering ghosts. I'm not sure. So yeah, it there's something super like spooky that. the whole time and floated. So that's all I, I really wanted. liked that the default name for the horse, uh, on the, the fill in screen was Epona. I was just, uh, mm. <laughs> every, every opportunity for a joke. All right. What, what did everyone name their horse? Uh, the ghost horse I called Glue, G L O O. Classic. Uh, yeah. I think I named my ghost horse uh, Creepy Pasta. Another great one, Laura. I I think I usually name them normal names. I think I named it Bobby. Nice. Good you already do remember. No, I mean probably like whenever I get a pet in in a game, I usually name it Roars, like mm. Roars the horse. Yeah. And, so that's probably why I did, but it's been a while, so I don't remember. Yeah. Roars. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yes, Pale Horse gives you random undead and next mechs books encounters. This is probably why it was so oh, easy for me nice. to accumulate all the next mechs books because I had a ah, good Okay. Okay. So we're about to start running into spoiler territory. After the spoiler break, we're going to be talking a little bit about some of the key side quests in the game, things that uh, we thought were particularly cool or, or sort of late game content that we don't want to talk about uh, for fear of spoiling it for folks who haven't played the game. Uh, so before we get to the spoiler break, uh, each week we have been doing a segment uh, called What's Making You Happy This Week? And uh, you probably won't be surprised by what that segment is all about. So first, Laura, what's making you happy this week? Well, I tried to watch a uh, Netflix original South Korean variety show called Busted, where a bunch of celebs kind of pretended to be uh, mystery solvers and solve a murder mystery. And they set up for the first 10 minutes delightful, and then they started solving it, and I hated it. So I went back to my old flame, The Genius, a different South Korean <laughs> variety show. Uh, the Genius is the first season's all on Netflix, and it is what if you took uh, social games, party games like The Resistance or Dominion or even rock, paper, scissors, and stretch them out for an entire day and put an hour break between each of them and televised it. A uh, couple of things make this even better. One, for some reason, the people making it have access to the entire Western catalog. So like they're playing Moby, they're playing mm. Ocean's Eleven music. So it sounds <laughs> so much cooler than any show could be in America. This is also probably why it's on YouTube and not, you know, somewhere a little more legit. The second thing is um, they do a ton of editing. So as the game is playing, you know, people are encouraged to cheat and lie to each other and really go out of the way to make these games work. So you, they kind of choose which player's perspective you're following. You'll go through the whole game in one version and then they'll turn over a card. And everyone's like, oh my God, it's a seven. And then they rewind the clock and re-edit and show you everybody who lied, all the backdoor dealings. It's super fun. Um, it's a game that's smarter than you, but you are so along for the ride. They also do great infographics explaining all of the games. They're ones that I don't normally, I play a reality show like, you know, in my head while I'm watching, this is how I would win. This is the strategy. I've never had a game where every strategy I've chosen is picked by a player and doesn't work. Huh. <laughs> so you're like, oh man, there, you know, there's all these, it's way more interesting than a, is, it's just more complex. And, and you said this is all on YouTube? Dense. 
It's all on YouTube. Okay. Um, people okay. Who we'll like have a link to it in the show notes then. It sounds really like a like lot, like kind of a blast. It is super fun. Again, it's playing all this like heist music that's got a full score by a like South Korean techno band. And <laughs> like apparently it's also got like the South Korean Justin Bieber on it. So everyone in the first season is like, oh, he can't possibly lie. He's too popular. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. Awesome. Highly sounds recommend. Tremendous. Nate, what is making you happy this week? Yeah, I've got uh, two things, but I'll keep it brief. One, uh, Lola, my daughter, turns one tomorrow. So Aww. that is pretty wild. It's it's pretty crazy. So we had her birthday party yesterday. It's still hard to wrap my mind around that fact, but it's we're it's it's, it's exciting. Uh, but also today was uh, St. Louis Pride, and my company uh, – is very involved in that. And is St. Louis Pride similar to Gay Pride? Is that <laughs> <laughs> good one? Okay, uh, it was the Pride <laughs> Festival in St. Louis. Uh, it's less well known. Seems like conflict on the dates. Actually, actually. <laughs> the Portland St. Louis Pride Parade was actually really weird. No one showed up. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, not very many people here have St. Louis Pride. Yeah, uh, yeah, it, it did not go over very well. No, St. Louis uh, History Month is a sham. <laughs> <laughs> like. <laughs> So, uh, but so we, we had a float in it and uh, I got to, you know, this is the second year I've walked in the parade and brought Lola with us this time. And it was just so much fun. And, um, I, it's just a very inspiring, uh, you know, event to be a part of. And it was a ton of fun and I'm still like coming down from that, you know, during this recording. So, uh, if you've never been to it, uh, you know, obviously, I highly recommend. And if you have a chance to be in it, I also highly recommend that. A well, that is that is so nice. And it also makes my thing that's making me happy this week sound really petty. I like Mario Tennis. It's a good game, guys. <laughs> um, it came out on the Switch. Uh, you've probably, I mean, if you listened to our episode on Golf Story, then you probably already heard me talk about my history with the Mario Sports series. And uh, I like the tennis ones maybe even more than the golf ones. And Mario Tennis Aces, uh, not everything about it is like my perfect platonic ideal of a Mario Tennis, but it is a good game so far. I'm liking it a lot. Uh, so if you have a Switch and you've ever enjoyed a Mario sports game or a tennis game, it's probably, uh, you know, I, I give it a thumbs up. Check it out. Uh, and it's yeah, making it's my, me happy. It's my first um, Mario sports game, and I'm actually really enjoying it. It's Man. Awesome. I never made you play the um, Mario Tennis on the GBA. I never like no, Ed, thank you. you. Okay. <laughs> well, Shane, what's making you happy this week? Uh, also a game. I've been playing this uh, board game that I've got to recommend to anybody who's listening. Uh, it's called Hive. It's been out for a long time, so I'm definitely not like on that new shit. Uh, but if, if you've never seen Hive, I basically describe it as bug chess. Um, it's a wonderful game because you can play it anywhere. It comes in this little travel bag. The pieces are these big honking plastic chunks. Uh, and instead of having, there's no board whatsoever. It's just a tile laying game where um, the the goal is to sort of surround and I suppose smother your enemy's queen. The bee. goal is to embarrass and humiliate and destroy your brother completely, which is what's happened mostly this weekend. Which is great. It really is. Uh, you know, if you are into um, kind of strategic board games it's it's an incredible two player board game there there it only plays as two player um it is a wonderful travel game because you need no board and you can pour an entire glass of beer over it without damaging it um so yeah 
it, it's really a fun, really a fun one. And I'm thanks for thanks for letting me uh, kick your ass at it a few times. It's no a problem. valuable and rare, uh, 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 like element to a board game. If yeah. you can oh, spill for something parents, all over hey, it, uh, the pieces are large enough that a baby cannot swallow them. So hey, there you go. Yet hey. another thing to recommend it. Mm-hmm. Gary, what is making you happy this week? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, uh, I I'm watching my my friends' cats. Uh, Will Hughes, who does the Everything to Guppy podcast with me. And uh, I can't work over there, really. I've tried. So I've been watching a lot of Netflix, which I don't usually do. And I caught up and I watched the most recent uh, comedy special from one of my favorite comedians, uh, John Mulaney. I'm mm. doing a comedy special called Kid, Kid, Georgia, Kid Gorgeous. Not Kid Georgish, <laughs> which is a, a different kid. But Kid uh, Kid Gorgeous. And uh, it's delightful. It's a, extremely funny. That man is a comedy genius. And now that he's getting old, his material is getting very relatable. Mm. Uh, which i like <laughs> so he is really great but i haven't caught that one yet that's uh that's one to add to my queue have you watched hello from broadway uh, i watched that the first night i was there and i i love those two people so much and i missed them uh they toured with that uh and i was in chicago but not on the right night oh. when my friends were going so i didn't get to i'm really glad they brought that to netflix because there is something about those the the way they inhabit those characters that is like a laser guided missile to my to my funny bone like they have such specific jokes like who they had a joke about eugene inesco's the chairs and i started laughing for like <laughs> yeah. five minutes and no one in the room with me laughed at all it's, it's kind of like, like this game where you're like if someone told me like oh yeah they play like kind of like old broadway guys and they're you're know, they're in their apartment and it, you know they're making old people jokes uh, you're like, eh, that doesn't sound very funny. Like, More than the about- some other parts. Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, you're you're playing a game where you're fighting cows and, and skeletons. Like, yeah, it's way better than just that single line. Awesome. Well, uh, we're just before we roll into our spoiler break, uh, here's the admin. Uh, I am Reagan Kelly, and you can find me on the internet at, uh, at Reagan K on Twitter, or you can find our show on Twitter at underscore short game or at www.theshortgame.net where you'll also find all of our back catalog of episodes over 150 at this point and also uh, all of our searchable show notes which makes it easy to find games that you might be interested in if you uh if you are interested in a short game odds are we may have already covered it go to a search uh, there's also a contact form you can write us and let us know what short interesting games are respecting your time this week uh i guess if that's a so that's a construction that I can never mind. Uh, let us know what you're playing. We always want to hear it. Most of the games that we play on this show are in response to someone suggesting them to us either over Twitter or on our contact form. So we can't be bothered. You know, we really games. can't be bothered to look around for things ourselves. So uh, please let us know what you're playing and what we should be playing. Um, Nate, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at NateSTL. And also, I just want to give a quick out, shout out. To lazy underscore sailor who left us a very, very nice review on iTunes. So thank you for doing that. We certainly always appreciate it. Thank you so much, lazy sailor. Yeah, we support the uh, sailors. Yes. Uh, Laura, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Laura J. Nash. Shane, where can people find you? Uh, don't at me at 8BitShane. Yes. And <laughs> Gary, uh, of course, people can find you in all sorts of places, but where specifically they should they look for you? Uh, if it's on Twitter, you should find me at Gary Ba, G-A-R-Y-B-U-H. Um, and then I podcast over at duckfeed.tv. I want to quickly mention specifically, um, one, uh, our flagship show, Watch Out for Fireballs, is approaching episode 200. We record that tomorrow. Uh, wow. So that's a b- big milestone. 
Uh, easily my favorite gaming podcast on the internet. If you're listening Thank to you. this show and not already listening to that, um, first of all, how did you find us? And what are you doing on the internet? <laughs> like, what? But uh, go listen to Watch Out for Fireballs. It's such a fantastic show. Very, very excited. We're talking about The Sims 3, uh, oh, which is such nice. a phenomenal and important game that, like, when people talk about the most important games of all time, I feel like they never talk about The Sims in it. That's that's a mistake. Um, mm-hmm. So shout out to that. And then we also, the newest show on the network is a show called Heartbeat City, which is a love uh, relationship advice show uh, that comes out every two weeks. And uh, we're looking for your calls. So uh, if that's something that's interesting to you, you can go to heartbeatcity.city. Uh, heartbeat.city was too expensive <laughs> and uh, you can write in uh, you can either call in at 1502-69hbeat or you can write in at gary at nice. duckfeed.tv yeah I, I caught the first episode of that and I haven't caught the second one yet but it's it's a great show if you like the advice format they have interesting things to say and are great funny people and check it's it out short. Yeah, and absolutely. we're not trying to be funny in that one we're trying something different and we'll see if it works at all uh, it is there, there are, there are no jokes in it. Uh, I think there are a couple of things that happen that are funny on accident, but like we ain't trying. So great shows to check out everything over at duckfeed.tv. And of course, here it is your spoiler break. So obviously we talked about all of the optional content in this game, and I wanted to save after the spoiler break a little bit of time to talk about some of the really awesome side quests that this game has. Uh, Most of them were pretty surprising, and so I didn't want to talk about anything there before we hit the spoiler break. Uh, But uh, anybody have any particular side quests that you really liked or that that you completed or anything like that? I really went hard for the necromancy stuff. Uh, I was... you know, forbidden knowledge is like catnip to me, and um, we play so, the same kind of characters in games. Because <laughs> earlier you made that wizard thing, and I was like, "Oh, like yeah." If we ever play D anD D, like I, well, you know, you know we have like, the one time we played D anD D together. I, 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 I knew that you and I would would have a good time around a table. Yeah, I mean, if we if we are wherever in the same same side, we have to fight. Who gets to be the the forbidden knowledge king? I am so Batman. That's a, and I am yes. also Batman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the thing is, I, I didn't actually manage to make it to the necromancer himself. So I want to know. Oh, I mean, I, I'm going to go back and play it. But so do I want spoilers on that? I mean, this is the, after the spoiler break. So I have to I feel like I probably I need to know what happens. Yeah. Did anybody... Well, so I did. Did anyone else? I did as well. Yeah, I, that one. You guys might have done it better than me because there's getting How to the go. necromancer tower. And then I only looked it up after. Um, but there's a better there's like a maximum way to get to the top of the mm. uh to the tower so did any of you guys successfully become the 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 like the champion necromancer or whatever sadly no and i really really want to go that fortunately uh, we didn't talk about it but this game really makes it easy to go back even after you've completed sort of the main quest or main story uh you know it's it's completely easy to just pop back into the rest of the game and continue. And I fully intend to do that at the very least for the necromancy stuff, because I heard that if you have uh, Doc Alice in your party or, you know, as your partner, uh, that the necromancer stuff becoming the necromancer is particularly great. Uh, did anybody take Doc Alice to be a necromancer or to to go be as your partner and go be a necromancer? No, I was on Sally, so I think that uh, I, I know what happens, but I I, I know what ha- I'm spoiled on it. If, mm. if yeah. so, I'm also spoiled on it, but, I don't know. It's fine, but, uh, but it's we should talk about a little bit. But what, nobody say what it. it is. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but nobody say. So, so it's really <laughs> there's a lot of these quests in this game that are like solely branching off of each other, and you can either like ride it to the end, or you can just take like little 
minor benefits as you go along. And I think the Necromancer one is a really cool one. There's also the El Vibrato um, thing where you don't even have to get to the end of it. Is, to not is the El Vibrato like, is that worth it? Like, I, I mean, I'm sure everything in this game has some kind of funny bit, but like yeah, anytime I see a quest, I, yeah, I spent it, a long time like taking notes on their numbering system. And like at the end of it, it was like, congratulations, you know, El Vibrato numbers. And I'm like, okay, what's next? I got some good food, the, the El Vibrato yeah. food cube. As well as uh, the um, they have a helmet that you they they have a full armor kit yeah um, but I only ended up getting like the helmet I think and it was pretty good I did not complete it anytime I see like a like a, you have to decode this language thing in a game I'm like I am never doing that not because yeah, but- I don't want to but probably because I can't like I'm not Laura <laughs> that is as opposed to me where I'm like oh look it's a language. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. These guys, like, and I say this with all affection because they're some of my favorite people on Earth. Is that they're huge puzzle wanks, Uh and uh, and and Riff specifically loves um, was that La Maluna Uh, has that language Mulan uh, puzzle, uh, like yeah, Uh, uh, and it has that language puzzle in it, and like things like that, like Fez, like that's his thing Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. So I knew he was going to do something like that. I'm much closer to you, Reagan, where like I just know I'm not going to do it. Yeah. You know, um, not, I don't, I don't think anything wrong with it. It's just not a subject of my interest, you know? Um, so, uh, when I saw, first saw that and I saw my, my game brain realize like what this was going to entail, like getting these punch cards. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, I know what this is. Like, yeah. I know these dudes. I'm, Ain't you know. happening. Yeah. This is definitely not a like Fez style where you have to figure it yes. out with a piece of paper. This is you stick a punch card in the computer and it'll teach you three words. It was. It was just doing that a lot, you yeah. know, which I did. I didn't mind. And the the thing that's great about though, and this plays with all the side quests, so it, it applies to the necromancer thing too, is that like super optional. Like the things you get, like it is kind of cool at the end. But uh, I was just like, I didn't really want to do this, and it's fine for next you know next time or not at all, and I don't feel bad about missing it. Some you know? of the puzzles are really fun uh, and inspired. I, I specifically remember having a really fun time with the old millinery, where you oh, go yeah. in and have to figure out which of the hat stands. Uh, like an enemy is hiding behind. Mm, that was fun. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's just progressively more and more of like a one of these things is not like the other kind of game. But, you know, it it, it, it did it. And I can't recall some of the, the later solutions, but it, there was like four or five iterations of it. And uh, by the end of it, it was a really fun, really clever puzzle. That also was the setting of one of my favorite, like, uh, like visual gags in the game, which was that you go into a room where obviously they're, they've been manufacturing hats and uh, one of the crates is dense. Yeah. Mm. Well, yeah. It's Love all the it. different parts of the hat. There's rims, there's like bridge rims. and then, yeah, yeah. dense. Dent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think it says that the crate is brimming with, with brims. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Uh, oh God. <laughs> there's also a similar thing too with the, um, the pickle the ghost pickle factory where it's like three rooms and it's all micro little puzzles that you have to figure out. Um, and those are like little number puzzles, uh, that were quick, but just challenging enough to feel satisfying when you complete it. Um, uh, there was another small series that I, uh, of like side quests that I really enjoyed where there was the, um, I forget the name of the, the ranch, but it was a ranch that had been totally destroyed, but there's a vault door, like a big metal vault door. Um, just right in the middle of it and you mm. can't open it. I got it's- stuck on that. I know just what you're talking about. How did, how did you learn to aim the cannon? So you have to go into the bunkhouse and in the bunkhouse, there's uh locked bunkers or um, trunks or whatever, you know, you have to like, get the foot of your bed. There's locked those locker, and you have yeah. to, yeah, you have to have a uh, lock picking too, I think at least. 
to open the and you open them up and you get different field guides except for one of them it takes you on the small side quest you have to go all the way back to like dirt water um which actually reminds me i want to talk about dirt water real quick but uh you had to go all the way back to dirt water and you basically get all these different field manuals for how you aim it and then when you finally aim it and you have to go back to the um to the ranch to place the flare so it knows where to shoot and when you do it opens up the thing and you get a ton of those books so you get a bunch of new skills or like um, if you didn't have like safe cracking or something like that, they're down there and it's very advanced book. So it was a, it was a pretty good reward for not a lot of work, but just enough work to feel really satisfying. Um, that was one of my favorite ones. It was one that I did not have the ability. I ran out of needles and I just kept it in the back of my mind the entire time. Like once I get a needle, that's where I'm going. Cause I want to pick that lock. Cause I'm pretty sure it'll let me shoot that cannon. And then it did, and I was like, nice. <laughs> if I can talk about one of my favorite things in the game, and this is – so just generally when we – we didn't really talk about the structure of the character uh, mechanics itself too much. But um, in addition to all your stats and things, you have all these different um, kind of tags sort of. you know. So you, you get the goblin tongue tag. Now you perks, can understand yeah. – The perks. That's what they're called. Mm. Um, and there's a, there's a moment – in one of the early areas where you have to choose between either it, you, you see some mining equipment and you either um, ask your partner about it. You know, it tells you, you don't know anything about it. And it, you have the option to either ask your partner about it or explain it to them. <laughs> and if you decide to just explain it to them and talk out of your ass and go through a couple of prompts there, you get a perk called Mindsplainer, <laughs> uh, which... Means that you just get XP anytime you deal with anything mining related, which is fairly frequently. <laughs> well, it ties into one of the companions too. Like we didn't talk about him, but the uh, Crazy Pete or whatever oh, his name is. I didn't Old touch Pete. Crazy Pete. He's like the that's how one. that's how he he uh, he levels up. So like each companion having a bespoke way to level up is really clever. That is, and that that's his. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, mind splaining. There's a, a bunch of funny ones. Percussive maintenance, I think, which allows you to hit anything that's broken. Um, and they also, the way they spread those out, you'll, I assume you'll, you have a lot of different chances where you can choose which ones you want. Like you choose if you want like lock picking or safe cracking or whatever at the beginning, by the end, you have pretty much all of them, um, which is really, really great. I also love, they teach you about them really, really quickly. The, the perks that you can get them in strange ways. Like, uh, I'm assuming you guys also ran into like 15 cactuses within the first five minutes of playing mm-hmm. the game Absolutely. and you get, you get scat. It just says you're, you're now scabbed or something like that. And it's plus five HP. And it's just, you have that for the rest of the game and they just build it right out of the gates. Like you're going to, you're going to alter your character through the things that you do in the game. Um, and just by trying random shit that really teaches you like even just touching everything that you can touch potentially has upsides at the very least you're going to get a joke and maybe you'll get a perk did anyone eat the hell cow food so there's for context there are you get a you you eat different things or drink different things or cook potions to power up and get these temporary buffs and you get a lot of like cow meat in infernal milk like tainted things that are they're not tainted because they're spoiled they're tainted because they're evil and whenever you try to eat them, the thing says, this is from a hell cow from like the spawn of Satan. Are you sure you want to drink this? And I was so curious. Now that I'm done with the game, I think, I, you know, after I maybe do another side quest, 
I would love to know what happens because I know the next Mex books will mess you up, but it doesn't let you. <laughs> I tried to drink and eat everything, and most of the time it would most of the time it would just say, "No, maybe you shouldn't." So I don't know if oh, there's okay. my my assumption is that there is a some sort of perk otherwise that you have to get that, that allows you, you that allows you to eat and drink all of that. Um, but I don't know. Uh, I loved all the dark stuff too. I mean, yeah. I loved the the hell cow stuff the side quest that i have not completed but i really want to is all the clown stuff oh i, um, I finished those mm-hmm. yeah i've but, gotten a fair amount into the clowns and that one's a little I, obscure too how you actually unlock um like getting to go to the main show uh and then you also have the option to totally destroy the clowns or the goblins if you go to um camp all dead where that like military is Right. Uh, mm-hmm. Is training if you get a certain item, um, you can direct that army towards something. Yeah, and, it's really interesting. You put toy skeletons on the battle map. Yeah. And that actually changes where the skeletons go in real life, which is a really cool, like, well, <laughs> yeah. You know. And to, and you, I chose to destroy the clowns because I did not trust those clowns. No. Uh, even though I ultimately had briefly allied myself with Barnaby Bob or something like that. Um, but after you destroy the clowns, you get his boots, and the boots were pretty tight. So it all worked out for me. You've got uh, good boots. I got good boots. Nate, you said you wanted to say something about the uh, about dirt water. Oh, um, and I really wish this was before the spoiler break. One of my favorite things about, not one of my favorite things about the game, because I love, there's so many great things, but something I really appreciated was that, like, you know, one of the things you see a lot in RPGs is, like, you can affect the world, you can affect the world, and it never really feels like that. Um, but what they do with Dirtwater actually kind of felt that way. Um, there's all these. It was very Suikoden too. <laughs> there's mm-hmm. uh, a lot of empty lots, and through your actions, you may inspire or free someone, or otherwise allow them to return to Dirtwater and open up a shop. Uh, and it fills out fills out those slots as well as you may rescue members of a band who will fill up the um, auditorium that are, is playing there. And those shops are usually pretty worthwhile. Uh, so I loved just being out there exploring, rescuing someone, and then being able to go to their shop and get like upgrades, like the uh, the shoes place. There are some really good upgrades there. Um, the hot dogs, the elegant hot dog, give you a lot of mysticism. So that was great for uh, or mysticality. So that was great for my guy. I, I just really liked that growth of the home city throughout the entire game. So it kind of gave you a reason to go back there, even though it might be. A long time since you had any quests that were worthwhile there. So, does anybody have any last thoughts on the game? Uh, any? You know? Yeah, absolutely. I would like to nominate uh, the spittoon gags as yes. probably the best video game joke. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been saying that, that for a year. <laughs> like, I want Riff to get um, a statue. Like, I was saying plaque for a long time, and now I think that uh, in in Video Land or whatever, there should just be a statue to Riff when you come in. Yeah, with a golden spittoon. The golden spittoon for that joke. The best gear in the game is at yeah. the bottom of those days. <laughs> I know. My guy was disgusting. I The helmet, the gun were all things that I carried the entire game. The the one full of urine where like the nerds have been peeing in the, the, <laughs> oh, God. the thing. Like it's so good. And the, it plays into what we said earlier. But I didn't want to mention it. In the But the, the um, thing Nate was talking about with the voice of the narrator, like that's the strongest narration work. 
Like the way that character comes into his own when you're doing that. And like, it's a funny joke that I've only talked about in serious breathless terms for like a year. <laughs> where I've just talked about it. Like, I mean, you know, just explaining like a class I took with <laughs> the, the, uh, which is, yeah, for people who don't know, who are, don't care about spoilers. Like it's, you, there's a series of spittoons. You reach in them. The narrator's like, do you really want to do that? It's a spittoon. That's pretty gross. And then you keep doing it because you're a video game protagonist. <laughs> like it's very clever. It's a fourth wall thing. Like, you know, characters in, in video games are constantly rifling through trash. Uh, and it's disgusting. Protagonizing. You know? Yeah. Just protagonizing, going off protagonizing. And, uh, the narrator just gets more and more repulsed with you as you go. And then your voice gets more antagonistic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you start just like, yeah, no, I'm going to do it. I'm going to actually Bob for it. Like I'm not even using I'm my hand narrator. <laughs> Put my mouth yeah, all on it. it. No problem. Yeah. You know, and this I'm arms race, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to this arms race of who can be more disgusting. Like, is so well realized and well written uh, and yeah. just, just laugh out loud, funny, like, and it continues throughout the whole game. Like it's a joke that every settlement you get a tiny little dose of this joke mm-hmm. and it escalates every time and gets funnier as you go until it like builds on itself until the end where it's just this very glorious moment. Like one of the most earned things in games. And you get like perks from it. Your your stench resistance goes up every time you do it. It's yeah, it's so fun. And you get perks for not doing it because they're they're great game designers and they know that that's how you should you should reward people for doing things. You know. Oh, you do get it for not doing it. Yeah, if you if you get through the whole game without doing, if you see all the spittoons without touching one of them, you get a perk as well. Ah. So what kind of monster can resist those? I don't know. And like the first one where it says it's like really gross. I can imagine. I think it's a weird way to check and see if you have the appropriate amount of buy-in and you're on the same level, I think, as the devs, right? Because, like, yeah. the first one where he's like, that's pretty gross. If you're thinking in conventional video game terms somehow by that point, you're thinking, like, oh, I'm going to get poisoned right. or something bad is going to actually happen that I care about. And you don't know, like, we're just playing. You know, it's like you and the developers, you and the writers behind this game are, like, having fun Yeah. Together. Even the things that actually are negative buffs, like, your hair turning white because you dealt in demonology too much. It doesn't really hurt you that much because yeah. you've got 15,000 other buffs on you and now you can drain the blood of your enemies. Yep. So who cares? Yeah. It's not that tough of a game. Like negative no. three Moxie when you're at like 45 already, it's not that yep. big of a deal. And it was way funnier to read the next mechs books yes. and it was way more satisfying. Yeah. I, yeah, I totally agree. In the first part of this, I, I compared it to Torment. Another game this reminds me a lot of is Alpha Protocol, which are both like very serious games. It's a weird comparison, but that game goes out of its way to reward you for whoever you want to play. So like if you go through and you're talking to people and you're kind of a jerk, like you get certain perks. And as, if you're really cool to somebody, you get like a perk. And the, it does that. And this game does that as well. Like no matter which way you want to appreciate it, the game will reward you uh, for doing so. Because again, you're just having fun. Like you're on the same wavelength of them, you know? Yeah. And I think the best way to play this game is being surprised. But if you really want to see more content and you're stuck on a gate, Kingdom of Loathing, West of Loathing have incredible wikis. And the thing is, they just tell you what to do. And this is definitely the the journey, not the outcome. So if it's going to tell you, go to this location and look behind the bush, you're still going to see a ton of jokes, a ton of other things that it's not going to show up in a wiki. So it's one Mm -hmm. of the few things that I'd say, if you've done everything you think you can and you're stuck, the wikis are dry. The game is not. So yeah. it's hard to spoil yourself. That's a great point. I actually even the in the pickle factory, there was one there's that puzzle. It's a pretty classic puzzle where you have to line up three different um, 
Bars. Uh, bars, thank you. Every time you pull a lever, two go up. The one you pulled goes down, you know? And you have to get them all three to line up. And I was, like, really tired when I was playing, but I was having such a good time. I ran into that one. I was just like... Uh, I spent, like, five minutes just, like, ran, like moving all the different levers. Just like, ah, I just... I don't feel like solving this the way you're supposed to, but I want to keep playing. And I know that this game isn't about that. So I just looked it up real quick and I was mm-hmm. like, I almost never look up puzzle solutions because I play, I love puzzle games. So I was like, I'm, I'm running into a point of friction on a game that does not want you to have any friction. So I'm just going to look it up and I felt totally fine about it. Mm-hmm. Big enough that it really doesn't hurt your experience whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah, I, I had so much fun playing this game and even more chatting with you guys about it. Thank you so much, Gary, for coming on the show. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I always love having a chance to chat with you about anything. So, you know, anytime you have a short game that you want to talk about, feel free to knock on our virtual door. And congratulations yeah. on episode 200. Yeah, yeah that's Thanks. so awesome. Huge. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. Almost eight years. Yeah. So it's, oh it's, yeah it's been done. Yeah. Because wow. it's uh, yeah. um, biweekly. So it's that uh, it's, it's almost 400 weeks. Yeah. The... Um, yeah, thanks. Yeah, I, I'm uh, I'm I'm real excited about it. It's gonna be a real fun episode too. I'm glad that we did it. Uh, we had we had that rough rough June, uh, of <laughs> and now now we're back, baby. Yeah. Um, so yeah, thank you. Uh, and of course, thank you to all of our listeners for joining us on this episode of the Short Game. Uh, see you again next week ish.